Welcome, welcome everyone. While we wait for LinkedIn Live to process and get into play, welcome everyone to December's Work Now in the Future. I'm your host for today's panel. I'm Natasha Poroskova. I use she, her, hers pronouns, and I am a consultant here with Living HR, uh, both digital and DEI. And we're so excited to have you for our December year in review event. So welcome back to all of you who have been here before. And for those of you who are new, welcome. We're Living HR and we are on a mission to design meaningful workplace experiences where people are supported. We hope you learned something new today, connect with some stellar humans and that we see you again next year in 2022. So we'd love to know a little bit more about you as well. So we'd love to have you introduce yourself in the chat. Let us know where you are in the world. I am in Boston, Massachusetts today. Our panelists are all over as well and I'll have them introduce themselves in a bit. But before we get started today, I wanted to take a moment and introduce and thank the incredible L. Powell here with us today. The art that you will see throughout the event being illustrated is done live by her. So thank you, L, for your talents and your gifts. We are so thankful for you. And another tremendous human we have with us today is Thomas Mance. Thomas is the president and CEO at Feeding Tampa Bay, the nonprofit leading the movement to end hunger. So I'd like to turn it over to you, Thomas, to share more about Feeding Tampa Bay and how our attendees can make a difference today. Well, thank you. I'm still excited about the idea that I'm a tremendous human. So that's, uh, that's my uh, good note for the day. Uh, thank you for having us in and thank you everybody for supporting us. And of course, our friends at Living HR and Carrie, uh, all of whom have really informed our work and our organization and here in Tampa Bay, our community and changed it for the better. Uh, we appreciate the opportunity to have some uh, moments just to talk with you a little bit about what we do. And as I was thinking about this opportunity, you know, uh, at the end of the day, our organization has a fundamental mission, which is to make sure that the lives of the humans in our world that come into our care are better for having come across us. So as we think about our work, we want a hunger-free Tampa Bay by 2025. But what does that really mean? What it means is that folks in our community have access to a nutritious meal, or they have access to resources and partnerships and trainings and new jobs that uh, put them on the road to the place that they want to exist in this world. When someone comes into our care, they are struggling, they're having a difficult time, and they're not able to make their way through some of the basic challenges that most of us on this call have the ability to manage. You know, if we think about what happens to someone that ends up in our care, particularly when you think about something with the pandemic, uh, someone who was probably living somewhat marginally economically has an economic shock when they lose a job and uh, have to rely on other resources and friendships and they go into debt and they manage credit cards differently and they don't pay bills and they get behind. It takes a while to dig out of all of that. And so an organization like ours exists to make sure that First and foremost, someone has a meal on a table where they need it. Because if we can all agree on one thing, it's that every human being should have access to nutritious food. So whether you're a child trying to learn, a family trying to stay together, or a senior trying to make sure you stay healthy, food is central and foundational, all of that. In fact, we view food not as an issue of social service. We view food as an issue of health. It's the gateway pathway and foundational element that all of us have to make sure that we're going to be okay, that we can do the things in our lives that we envision. We also feel very strongly that the folks that come into our care 
need pathways and partnerships, friendships, uh, and support to move forward, right? So everybody hits a place in their life where they need a friend or someone to come alongside them and offer services. So an organization like ours provides job training that puts people in good paying jobs. We provide education and other resources that allow folks to go out and uh, connect to benefits and, and programs that enrich their family and enrich their households so that they create stability and long-term uh, viability. But why does that matter? For whom does that matter? I think for an organization like you all, if you don't know this statistically, if you take away something from this, in every community in the United States, not just here in Tampa, one in four children don't have steady access to food and one in six adults don't have steady access to food. And that means in the organizations that you all manage, uh, the people that are in your world, you'll have folks who are struggling just to put food on the table. And typically they're struggling across the whole of their organization, their lives, right? So it's a household challenge. Um, uh, and, and so when you think about how many folks you have in your organization, statistically, some of those folks are in our care. Uh, and we try and make sure that we look after them well, but we also like to try and make sure we have a conversation with folks like you to say, it's an issue that we all need to be aware of. Uh, there are resources and partnerships and programs available to them. And typically they're done by the sector like ours, where it relies on volunteers. And in this instance, I know Living HR is asking you all to support us or your local food relief organization. We would encourage and appreciate both because we go as far as our partners take us. And so ultimately, you know, we come back to where we started with, is that all of you have uh, in your charge the responsibility to make sure that the lives of those you serve alongside in your organization are the better for having come into relationship with you. They come to you with a want or a need or an issue and you all work to resolve it. We do the same thing. We do it around food and we do it around a table because in our world, everything good in life starts around a table. Maybe, and hopefully all of you that are on this call do not know what it's like to not to, to have uh, uh, food insecurity, to not know where your next meal is coming from. But all of us know how important food is. Uh, we are built around it. Our lives are bound around it. The memories we have are tied to it. And the things that are important to us are a part of it. Feeding Tampa Bay and organizations like ours make sure that people can come together around a table, experience family, fellowship, and the hope for a future. So thanks very much for giving us some time to address you all today. Thanks for the work you do in your communities and our community. Uh, we appreciate very much and, and look forward, hopefully, to uh, partnering with uh, many of you as we move forward. Carrie, thank you for the wonderful organization that Living HR is and all the support you give to us and other charities in our community that make the area of Tampa Bay a better place. Thank you. Thank you so much, Thomas, and for sharing about Feeding Tampa. Tampa Bay. For anyone who is interested in donating, there is a link in the chat. So we encourage you to do so. And again, thank you, Thomas, for, for being here and for heading Feeding Tampa Bay. So now we will move into our panelists that we have today. So this is our year in review. So we have people that have been uh, at our previous Work Now in the Future. So today, from March's Work Now in the Future, the Humans at the Center, the new work, we have Tom Freeman, Manager of Global Partner Engagement at Headspace for Work. 
From May's work now in the future for allyship and advocacy, we have Amelia Ransom, VP of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at Smartsheet. And from one of the first work now in the futures in July of 2020, we have Katie Evans-Reber, the Vice President of People and Culture at Winolo. So thank you all so much for being here today. We are thrilled to have you. I'd love to have you each introduce yourselves a little bit more than, you know, I just gave the really, really brief your names and your companies. So I'd love if you could let us know where you are in the world, a little bit about yourself. And we were talking about this in our prep conversation, what your favorite cake is. So let's go ahead and start with Tom. Well, it's a tricky question for morning, favorite cake. Um, no, thank you so much for, for having me again. Uh, so my name is Tom Freeman. My pronouns are he, him, and his. And I'm sitting here in Santa Monica in Los Angeles, but originally from the UK, as the accent might give away. So I've been at Headspace now for nearly 10 years. I joined as an intern after doing a master's in business psychology. So I'm really passionate in how we create healthy, happy organizations. And I kind of worked on that internally at Headspace for about six or seven years, uh, focusing on things like LND and culture and DE and IB as well over the years in little bits and pieces. And then for the past three years, I've been working on our post-sales team, helping launch Headspace into organizations that uh, bring Headspace into their company cultures. So uh, I'm very privileged, lucky to be in this world where I can see both the internal in terms of how we help build uh, happy, healthy workplaces, uh, but also how we can promote that in other workplaces as well. So yeah, it's a privilege to be back here again. Thank you so much for having me and really looking forward to having this discussion with the panel today. And my favorite cake, that's a really tricky one, but I think it's gonna be carrot cake. Carrot cake. Yeah, which might not be for everybody, but I'm a fan, yeah. It, it sounds healthy, right? It's got carrot in so you can eat twice as much. So that's, that's my reasoning. <laughs> Thank you, Tom. And let's pass it over to Amelia. Hello, everyone. I'm Amelia Ransom. My pronouns are she and her. Um, I am coming to you on the, from the uh, unceded and ancestral lands of the Coast Salish, Duwamish, Stillaguamish, and Muckleshoot peoples um, who still inhabit and care for the land here in Seattle, Washington. And I am, as uh, Natasha said, I'm Vice President of DEI at Smartsheet. Favorite cake. So I bake a mean Seven Up cake and a mean Socket to Me cake. Both of my parents are from Texas. And those are, I don't know if they are Southern. I think they're both Southern cakes, but I have never found really a lot of people outside of the South uh, who eat those cakes or who know about 7-Up Cake and Socket to Me Cake. So I like to surprise people with those two cakes. Thanks, Amelia. And I'm actually from Texas myself and I've never heard of those cakes. So I will have to give them- Well, you know, here's the other thing, like, okay, like really, I'm just gonna be honest right now. I've never known non-Southern, non-Black people who don't eat those cakes. I'm just gonna be honest. <laughs> I mean, clearly there's not a rule, but I've never known people to eat them. So I do like to share them with other people so that we can share the culture, both of the South and of the African-American traditions with other peoples. Thank you so much for sharing. I will, I'm gonna look into that. Yes. And last, let's hear from least, last but not least, Katie. 
<laughs> Thank you so much. Um, hi, everybody. My name is Katie Evans Reber. My pronouns are also she and her. And I am the vice president of Winolo, which is a gig economy marketplace um, focusing on the light industrial sector, hooking up folks um, who want to work gig jobs with opportunities for them to do so. Um, I've been at Winolo for about three and a half years, um, and I lead the people teams um, and also um, corporate comms and PR at Winolo. Um, well, somebody on my team does it for me, and she's amazing, so I can't take credit for it. Um, and I have had a 7-Up cake. I think it's delicious. Yes, my, uh, I have a, a good friend group that has introduced it to me. It's delicious. But my favorite cake um, really is any cake with a cream cheese frosting, specifically a really spicy spice cake. Wonderful. And I feel like a good cake for this time of year, spice, the holidays, a good pairing. So thank you everyone, all of our panelists for introducing yourselves. I'd love to go ahead and start by spending a little bit of time reflecting on this past year we had so we can look ahead and dive into 2022. So with 2021, what were the light bulb initiatives or moments of inspiration at Headspace Health, Smartsheet and Winolo that moved the needle for human-centered work? And let's start where we, we ended. Katie, you wanna go ahead and, and share? Yes, thank you. Um, I think for us, it really was um, the idea that we needed to make a heavier investment in um, actually remote experience. So we started 2020 thinking we could kind of, you know, brute force it and simulate the I simulate the feeling of working in the office um, remotely, kind of without really doing much uh, differently, except moving the experience to Zoom. And at the end, in the beginning, at the end of 2020, and certainly um, all through 21, Zoom fatigue has been, you know, pretty um, real and um, has been, you know, a problem. So we've made a, a pretty heavy investment um, in our um, employee experience team. Um, it's the currently the fastest growing team um, on uh, on my people team um, today. And um, really the idea around tying that sense of purpose um, and our mission to what we're doing um, um, in terms of experiences has been really clutch. Um, giving people sort of like that same drive and same, um, same feeling of uh, camaraderie that we all felt when we were in the office working on this problem together um, has really been instrumental in keeping everybody engaged in 2021. Tom and Amelia, who, Tom, you look like you're ready. <laughs> really good question. And I'm, yeah, trying to think a bit about it. I think one thing that, I mean, recently a big change at Headspace Health has been a merger that we're going through. And I think, as I think about human-centered, like humans have been the center of two companies coming together. So very briefly, we've had Headspace, and then we've got uh, Ginger, who are uh, a company that specializes in coaching, therapy, and psychiatry. And over the past few months, we've been going through this merger to become what we're calling Headspace Health. And that's just been a really interesting exercise in terms of how you do that virtually. And I think... I'm sure not everyone's going through mergers here, but I think some 
com common kind of themes that are coming from that I think are so important in this virtual environment is just like having very open forums of conversation. I think one thing that we have done last year and, and this year, which has been a really helpful exercise to see what folks are thinking and feeling is kind of doing things like constant Q&A and all hands uh, sessions where folks can come together. We can be really open and visible about sharing what's going on, but also having time for Q&A. And that's been a really helpful moment to have a, a sense check in terms of what is on folks' minds. And I think that's just been a powerful part of that. And I think something else that we've continued to do is off the back of some surveys last year in terms of how folks were feeling and what they were experiencing is giving more flexibility to people. And I think I'll probably use this word a million of times. I'm a huge fan of this word flexibility as we think about the future of work, but also work right now in terms of what folks need. And we're incredibly lucky here that we actually uh, offer a mental health day every other Friday so folks can have that as a day for themselves. And then a Friday in between is a no meetings day. So folks can just spend time getting focus work done. If they're caregivers, they can devote time to that. And I think, again, having that element of flexibility has been really important. So as I hear this word, human-centered, it's around creating those moments of flexibility, but also hearing folks in terms of what they're going through, what they need, and how we can meet them there. So there's just a couple of things that come to mind. I'm happy to kind of share more on that as well. But yeah, I think also, to be frank, it's been a hard year, I think, for Lots of us, we kind of kicked off this year hoping that things might, you know, feel a bit more open and safe. And here we are still in this. I think it's really important to call that out that this is still uncertain and times are still really hard for many people and time things are uncertain. I think that is just, yeah, such a big part of, I think, of what lots of people are experiencing right now of how hard this can be and how long this is going on. I think that's also important to call out when it comes to being human centered as much as possible, then bringing compassion to how we treat others. And again, I can talk a bit more about this, but um, I think, yeah, flexibility and understanding and compassion are really important parts of that kind of cake when it comes to human um, centered design first. And yes, I just use the word cake, so. Yes, thank you, Tom. And I love that idea of mental health days being every other Friday. I did want to bring attention to everyone. We had our first poll launch. We'll have a couple of polls throughout the conversation. And it sounds like the biggest struggle for people in 2021 has been attracting great talent. So thank you all for participating and we'll have a couple more throughout the conversation. And so Amelia, your, your perspective. You know, we cannot claim to be human centered if our policies are still not human centered. And so we end up in some cases, and I'm not saying this about Smartsheet or the previous company that I'm with, but I'm seeing this as a trend. Frankly, we're gaslighting employees. We're telling them, we want you to take a mental health day, which we have said. We want you to take your time away, which we have also said, which many companies are saying. But then we don't make it easy to be away. You still gotta meet that quota. We're not changing that quota number. No one else is taking time off. So that inbox, I opened up my laptop on my first day of work to 400 emails, right? And this is not unusual. And again, I love the company that I work for. This is not a knock against them, but I'm saying we're gaslighting people by saying, we want you to think about this. We want you to think holistically, but we haven't trained managers how to do it. 
we haven't really trained managers, people managers, how to support people holistically. We haven't said to managers, here's what it looks like to lead people, not just in terms of the work outcomes, but in terms, we want you to be clued in to understand, does your person seem distant? Do they seem disengaged? Do they understand about our health and wellness um, offerings that we have? Do you encourage people to take it? We don't do that, but we say regularly, please do this, please take this, please know that we care about you, please do this, please take your time away. And then on the other hand, we absolutely make it nearly impossible for people to do. So I think that is a thing we have to, the only way I know how to describe this is, is musically, when you call it locking your note, when nothing is sharp or flat and the whole band is playing in the same key, we have to be playing in the same key. We are saying one thing in one note and we are doing another thing in a different note and it sounds like a cacophony to our employees. And I say that again, that's my knock on the, uh, the profession of people is that we are allowing businesses to do this to our employees. And so we have to figure out how to draw that together. And the pandemic did not start this trend of, of exposing this, but it has exacerbated it. And so in as much as we want people to be healthy and be away and attract, the reason we can't attract talent is like, it's a talent market. And you haven't changed your policies or the way that you attract people to make it more attractive. You think it's 2 a.m. and the bar is closing. It is not. It's, it's just not. Then that's what we think it is. It's 2 a.m. the bar is closing. You want to see who's going to go home with you. This is not what that is. But we are still acting like it is. I think that was a great analogy. You know, the bar is closing. And what's what's going to happen at the end of the night. So I, I think that's a great part to, sh to shift and pivot because if we're talking about being able to attract great talent, we also need to retain that great talent once we bring it in the door. And I don't think we can talk about 2021 and not at least touch on the great resignation, which we had a whole work now in the future, specifically about the great resignation. Because the, Amer and the number of Americans quitting their jobs we know is high. It was six straight months of being the highest it ever was. Uh, and September reached an all-time high with 4.4 million Americans resigning in that month alone. And so going into 2022, I'd love specifically, Katie, how are you working to overcome the great resignation at Winolo and helping other organizations to do the same? Yeah, um, it's, it's a really <clears throat> great question. I, I feel, you know, at, at Winolo, we have not felt it in volume. Um, you know, we're not seeing that 30% that is kind of the um, uh, norm that kind of other companies are seeing. But what we are seeing are, you know, some really key um, folks um, leave the team for other opportunities. Um, I think it's important to really normalize that it is okay to leave a company for another opportunity. Um, it's a journey and to support somebody on their whole journey, you have to also support them if they decide that this place is not the place for them. And so I don't love to think about this as the great resignation. I would prefer to think about it as the great reshuffling. 
And I actually think that it's a positive thing um, for the workforce. Um, people got burnt out, you know, in 2020 and 2021. And it's not a knock on your company that folks are leaving. It's more that they themselves require a change to make themselves feel whole. And I think that that's okay. So um, I really think we think about retention, of course, it's important. But I think the thing to really sort of think about now, and especially if this goes into 2022, is you know, kind of succession planning, making sure that people aren't single points of failure, and then, you know, really normalizing the idea that it's okay um, if you want to go pursue another opportunity. And the more that you normalize that, I feel like you're, the more your um, employees will be open about what they're doing. And that openness can really help you plan, first of all, um, make sure that, you know, uh, you know, if somebody is like thinking about it or is unhappy or wants to make a change. And then it really helps, you know, the business to plan or to plan around that rather than making it this like huge negative thing that's happening in the world. Um, turn it around and just make it, excuse me, a positive thing. Um, and sometimes like if you just make it a positive thing, folks will go out, see what's on the market and realize that where they are is the best place to be. Anyone else want to add any perspective on that on that one? I think Katie's right. And I think that the other thing we have to think about is who's leaving. When we're having this conversation, we can't assume that we're that this is, you know, a monolith of people. Some people don't have the options to leave. So the people that we're seeing leave have options. So again, I go back to if you haven't made it attractive to be with you, if you have assumed that people are going to stay with you because they don't have other options, well, you're already behind the eight ball on this one. People have options. And so if we are expecting to be able to retain people the same way that we did three years ago, five years ago, well, that ship has sailed. And we have to keep iterating what good looks like. This is a relationship. And relationships grow and change. And like Katie said, we have to normalize leaving the relationship when the relationship is no longer serving you. And that is okay. But we also have to think about how we can retain talent because there's only a, people are not fungible. So we have to also think about what does it mean to retain people? And what does it mean to be in relationship with our employees in a different way? Because we've thought about ourselves as, as companies, as like, I'm the big company, I've got these people, but we have to think about ourselves alongside. Otherwise, you are going to be losing that talent on a regular basis. And it's just going to be a Sisyphean effort to get talent in and find yourself having to hire over and over again. And your talent acquisition teams, this, they are not going to stay around for this. Yeah, I would just like plus one that I think a lot of it, as I'm thinking about it, also comes down, I know the media mentioned this a bit earlier, but like leaders and, and managers in particular, and as much as possible, how these kind of conversations between managers and teams can be an ongoing kind of conversation around how you are right now, how you're feeling about your work, are you using your strengths, how's it aligning with your values? Like, I think this idea of having a performance conversation maybe once or twice a year is kind of really old fashioned. And I think we need to move away from that. So this is an ongoing conversation. So essentially there are no surprises. So 
whatever's on the minds of employees, that's an ongoing open thing. And this can be a monthly conversation or even more than that. So I think that's something that we can kind of move to is this is an ongoing open conversation in terms of like, how are you right now? How do you feel your work is going? Um, and I think a great manager will also help someone move on and kind of be an advocate for them as well. And I think that can sometimes sound quite scary, but I think if there's an ongoing open safe relationship, I think safety is a big part of this, which definitely is not easy for, for, for many folks. I think if that is there, then this as an ongoing conversation really helps have these kind of transitions as well. And yeah, I just wanted to mention that. And I think you brought up a critical piece, Tom, with there needs to be those conversations and openness. You know, you can't know that someone is struggling or having a hard time if those conversations aren't being had. And then it is, a, why is this person leaving? So it's being thoughtful and intentional to talk through those things. And we did have a question come through that follows this strand. So I'd love to, to bring it up for the panelists. Michael had a question. When you work for a company that likes to talk about being people-centered, but their policies and expectations don't align, what would be the best next step for that employee? For the employee? Yes. Lee? That's what I was going to say. I mean, <laughs> I mean, take your toys and go. And I, I just want to call out also, some people are quitting and staying, by the way. Not everyone who's quitting your company is resigning and leaving. Right. Some people are quitting and staying exactly in their seats. So you have to be paying attention to that also. But literally, my answer to like, what happens if they don't do that? Leap. If you have an option to, I realize that statement has a lot of privilege associated with it. So let me be very clear. Let me own that, that I understand the statement I just made is like rife with privilege. But if you have that to leave, leave. Thanks, Amelia and Katie and Michael for your question. If anyone who is here today has questions, feel free to drop them in the chat and we will get to them during the conversation or at the end when we hit our Q&A portion of the event. So shifting a little bit more into looking into 2022. So for the last majority of the last year plus, we've been in a reactive mode where we're reacting to the things happening around us. So how do we shift gears and work in a proactive mode in 2022? And do you think that's even possible with this variant coming in? What are your 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 take on that? I think it's definitely hard because yeah, the ground we're moving on is changing and moving so much. I mean, you've got the COVID and the variant, yes, and that will affect how we meet up in real life and those kind of things. Um, but I think there's one piece here which I think asking people what is best for them, I think is one piece that's really important to this. So using surveys, and even though things can move really fast, I think getting a picture of where folks are and what they need most in that moment. And again, it comes back to this idea of flexibility of like how we can build and inform policies that are really built around that population that we have at the moment. And something that we've tried to do a bit more is, yeah, just ask folks when it comes to things like what they feel safe with or, how their mental health is and, and things like that. Just having that kind of open discussion and, and doing those surveys around that to get information from people, I think is really important. So I think as we 
look more forward into the future, yeah, continuing to ask and have those discussions rather than policies being made by a select group behind closed doors that might not fit the group and be flexible. I think really just getting that feedback from, from people is, is really important. And yes, things are always going to change. I think calling that out, that this is hard, things are changing, that there isn't going to be anything set in stone. I think managing that expectation and being honest and vulnerable as well as leaders is a big part of that because essentially we're all human and things are going to change. And I think we have to be open to calling that out. And for the poll question that just came out, it was after this year, do you feel your organization shifted to be more human centered? And we had 64% say yes, which I think is a really great response rate. So I'm interested if you said yes to that question, I'd love for you to share in the chat, what are the ways that your organization made that shift that you feel it is a more human centered place? But going back to the question, Katie and Amelia, did you have any thoughts about how we shift to be proactive instead of reactive? I can. You can go first. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like the idea of uh, what Tom was saying around survey and question. I think you have to get very intentional about questions, right? What are you seeking to know? And then what are you going to then do with that? people have been asking, asking, asking. At a point, it's like, if you don't know what to do by now, I, I, I don't know what to tell you. So ask intentionally, who is it that you're trying to serve? This is where equity and equality break away from one another. And so we need to be giving people what they need, not everybody the same thing. That is what has failed us. Trying to, be, trying to drive equality through the workplace is failing us. We have to drive equity. And so if you wanna know how to retain women in the organization, you have to ask people who identify as woman. It does not matter what anyone who doesn't identify as woman thinks about that. But we tend to think we have to have these surveys that are peanut butter and we ask all the questions to all the people and then slice the data. And as someone who's led employee engagement, I can tell you that's the wrong way around that thing. So get intentional about it. It's okay to give people different things. We do it all the time. I imagine in your organizations, you have people who use different kinds of laptops. We are absolutely okay with giving people what they need, the tools that they need, but we are somehow afraid to do that when it comes to people and organizations are frankly dying of it. Yeah, I mean, I'm plus one to that. I mean, I, I think, um, you know, so, some mistakes that we, that you know folks I see are, are making are, are really like that peanut butter effect. I mean, when we started 2020 from employee engagement, for example, we would plan one event and base uh, you know our success off of the number of attendees. And when 20 people showed up, we were like, "What happened? Like this was an awesome thing. We planned it. It was super fun. Why didn't nobody show up?" And like over the last couple of years, the thing that we've learned is uh, the best way to get, you know, folks engaged is to really get in their minds and understand uh, what are the different groups. Um, and it goes beyond, you know, I think gender and, um, um, and, you know, some of the other like, you know, typical ways that we um, compartmentalize people, um, and, and, and like down to like just personal interests and the way that people want to, um, interact. So like today we do not, um, 
we don't benchmark any sort of um, attendance metrics on our events. What we do is say like, okay, we've identified that this, this sort, sort, sort of profile of um, employee is more apt to join this thing. And so we uh, benchmark our success on, um, you know, how many different touch points have these different sort of like groups that we've identified um, made in the last four weeks. Um, and we do that um, using a tool and, you know, also sort of manually, just like um, really paying attention to who shows up. So um, I agree, like, you know, saying that all millennials like um, this certain of activity is just, in my mind, it's crazy. I mean, the millennial generation, for example, is like, you know, some of them are 40 and some of them are like, whatever, 30, or I don't, I don't know what the bottom is, but, and that is very different. The, what, what those two sort of like group age groups want is very different. So being careful how you compartmentalize and bucket people and going a level deeper um, has been really successful for us. And I'd love to dive a little bit more, Katie, into what are some ways organizations can work to strategize going into 2022 with talent specifically in mind? Like um, uh, attracting talent? Attracting and uh, retaining it. Yeah. I mean, a, a few things. One, I think um, our hiring processes have to evolve. Um, you know, we're getting candidates that go through um, our interview process that, you know, already have five offers on the table. And so how do you, how do you essentially um, do all of the assessing, all of the selling, um, everything that, you know, sort of like needs to occur to get that yes on the offer in a really expedited, expedited timeframe? Um, and then how do you present, you know, your your company um, in a way that uh, is competitive with the other offers that they have on the table. I mean, you know, we still hire folks in um, in California, for example, but we don't operate in California. Um, we hire folks in Toronto, and we don't operate in, in Toronto. So we're we're faced with like a lack of network effects from our um, from branding, um, and so it's been. Um, an interesting challenge to, and, and I assume like some folks on this call, you know, have companies that don't have a national presence or like, you know, a super recognizable um, brand. So it's been, you know, it's been an interesting challenge to sort of overcome that. Um, and we've done it um, with Glassdoor campaigns, with LinkedIn campaigns. Um, and then, you know, uh, we do a, a panel interview that is, um, you know, sort of our it's our cultural interview. I hate to call it that. Um, we're not looking for culture fit. We're looking for culture at value. Um, but also that's an opportunity really designed for the candidate to um, double click into what the culture is at, at Winolo. So we've tried different things. And, and I think like that um, speed and efficacy of your hiring um, process in this environment is super important um, to get right. Um, and then I also think like we're all we're expanding um, where we're looking for candidates. So um, I know we specifically were just hiring candidates in the US. We've expanded to um, Canada. We're now thinking about expanding sort of like across the world and, and bringing folks in from all over the place um, to sort of, you know, to, to help broaden that pool and, and get us um, some more diverse candidates. I'm a huge proponent for culture ad versus culture fit. So um, I love that you brought that 
into 2022 strategy. Tom, similar question for you, but how can we strategize going into 2022 with well-being in mind? Yeah, yeah, really good question. And I, I think, again, asking people where they are and what's most valuable to them is an important starting point and definitely plus one to media's point around being really intentional with those, those questions. And then, well, we did some research ourselves, actually, in terms of this. We did what we call a trends report. This was back in the spring, and this wasn't actually just internal Headspace employees, but this was... Um, employees in North America and, and Europe. I think it was about two and a half thousand folks. Um, and I just wanted to share some data if it's helpful. I think it's really interesting around this discussion, but we found that almost two thirds of employees are using mental health solutions offered by employees. That's slightly up than last year. Um, but still this year, 61%, oh, sorry, 54% of people still reported feeling stressed or extremely stressed. So and in that, 58% of women reported being stressed or extremely stressed compared to men at 46%. So obviously some groups are feeding this more than others. Um, and then when it came to like what we're looking at in terms of benefits and solutions here, one interesting thing we found that three and four employees want employees to provide, sorry, employers to provide mental health programs, benefits and solutions built on evidence-based approaches. So I think that stuff rooted in science and the benefits we saw an uptick in that. And also more folks were asking for support with their dependents as well. So there's a few trends that came up there. And I think, again, every population is different. That's something we saw from quite a large uh, population. And then the thing that really interested me was we actually asked folks what would be most valuable benefits and folks could kind of rank this on the survey. And number one was flexibility in terms of how they work and where they work. And I think the pandemic obviously has been a big catalyst, I think, in terms of how we think about that. And that's not going anywhere. We have to, I think, keep that going. Um, the option to work from home was number three in that list. And then number five was paid parental leave. So um, it's really interesting trends there that came from that research. And again, I think just asking folks what's most important to them, I think is an interesting thing when it comes to wellness and benefits and, and support there. And again, flexibility, I think, is a, a big part of that. And I guess one example of how we think about it here at Headspace is that we have a, a wellness kind of stipend. And a few years ago, this used to be kind of like, well, you know, we'll pay for your gym membership. But this whole area has moved on so much more than that, that now we're in a very privileged position that we give employees money to basically put towards what, how they define wellness or well-being for themselves. And for some people that might go towards caregiving responsibilities. For some people it might be buying new sneakers. And I think that this whole term is kind of much, much, much broader and there has to be flexibility there in terms of how we can support uh, our teams and people with that. So yeah, I just wanted to share a bit of data around what we saw there in terms of what the landscape looks like. But I think at the core of this is, yeah, it's all different. And I think if we can ask folks what they most need when it comes to this, based on the population that we're working with, I think that again is an important starting point here. And that's some really rich data. We're actually asking, our last poll question is similar in the vein of what are employees really looking for from their organizations and that poll will, will come soon. But I wanted to ask Amelia, again, you the same question, but how do we strategize with DEI and B in mind? All right, the poll popped up in front of my face. So I can't unmute, there we go. Um, I think one of the most important things that we can do with DEIB is understand that it is central to our success 
with humans. This is not a trend. This is not a spark that you can do and scramble and figure out how you're going to respond to the next tragic situation that happens you know, in your country or around the world. This has to be ongoing, sustained work. And the work is really centered on, I would say, you know, 15 years ago, the work of DEI in many cases was readying people for the organization, figuring out how you could find people, to Katie's point, that were culture fits, right? But just happened to look different, but had all the same requisite background as everybody else. But they just happen to look different, but they think like us. They just maybe look a little different, but not too different. I would tell you that work has evolved. I don't feel like my work now is to do that. My work is to ready organizations for people, not people for organizations. And so how do we continue to ensure that our organizations are ready for the diversity we say we crave? This is the, but we center people who are marginalized and underrepresented in that narrative. So this is the difference between I sometimes hear parents say, I want my child to go to a school with diversity. And I'll ask why. And they say, oh, I want my kid to experience people from different backgrounds and this and that. That's not wrong or bad, but it doesn't center the students who are underrepresented. A different statement that centers students would be, I would like all children to have access to equal education. That is a statement that centers people that are marginalized in the center of it. So that is the difference between what organizations need to do. Rather than saying, I want different people who think like us, it's to say, how can we, how can we ensure that we are attractive to people from different backgrounds and perspectives? How can we assure that we're attractive to, to brown and black folks? How can we assure that we're attractive to queer folks and trans folks? Right? The previous organization I worked for had a location in North Carolina and there were several laws that were being passed that were anti-trans. And someone asked if we would you know, close our, if we would consider closing our operation there. And I will tell you my, my vehement answer, it was not my decision, let us be clear, but my vehement answer was no. I want to be the place that you come. If you are trans in North Carolina, I wanna be the organization that you come to. I want to be a safe spot for you. I don't want to run from this. I want to be a beacon of hope in this. And so how do organizations get there? Because the next tragic thing that happens and you think I can just post my Black Square or I can post Black Lives Matter or I can post this thing and that's good. I am telling you right now, just don't even bother. It is the way that when people want to like get to Martin Luther King Day and post all the quotes that they've ever heard from Martin Luther King, but you haven't, said, you haven't done a thing for black and brown folks all year, I can Google the quotes. I don't need you to post the quotes. I need you to change your policies and practices in your organization. And I love that you brought up the fact that diversity isn't a trend. Uh, I did wanna urge everyone, if you haven't completed this last poll, please do so. Um, but I wanted to, to add, Amelia, the piece about um, diversity not being a trend there was a McKinsey study that showed corporations identified as more diverse and inclusive were and are 35% more likely to outperform their competitors. And so it's not only good for business gains, it's good for 
people and it's an imperative overall to be a human-centered organization to care about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so I appreciate you bringing and really hitting home that this is not a trend, it's a moral imperative. I was wondering if I'm anyone else- if you, want to, if you want to be successful, I don't have goals for DEI that are separate from the organization's goals. When people ask what the business case is for diversity, I quote my friend and author, Rebecca Steele, who says, tell me what the business case is for homogeneity. Do you have a business case for that? Because no one has yet presented that business case. The business case for diversity is accuracy. That is the business case. You want to be accurate in what you are doing. You want to develop products that serve your marketplace. You want to, like, that is the business case. And if that isn't staring you right in the face, I don't, I, like, I struggle to understand how to help you. And I'd love to hear Katie, Tom, if you want to weigh in and add a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, I agree with, you know, sort of like everything that has been said. I mean, if we're talking about sort of like diversity and inclusion, um, you know, there are obvious business impl implications, you know, as, as Amelia said, as you pointed out, um, you know, from a results perspective, but, you know, from a, this is a place that makes me happy to be in, and I am a fulfilled human being, and I get up in the morning, and I love what I do, and I don't get the Sunday scaries, and like, I'm, I'm happy. I think diversity plays a huge role in that. I mean, not only are you exposed to, you know, a wide variety of different thoughts and like different backgrounds and interesting things that people are doing and have seen and have been through and, 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 um, you know, are teaching you, um, but you get to contribute to that too. Um, you have an interesting point of view too. And, um, you know, you've been some, been through some shit you've, you know, have your own background and, and when diversity is at the forefront, it really encourages you to get to that, like, we call it a level five conversation, like to get, you know, really, um, you know, deep and to share those experiences. And in sharing those experiences, you feel connected to the people that you're, that you're, you know, working with and, and you feel love and you feel support and you feel respect and you give it in return. So, I mean, yeah, of course there's like business outcomes that come from diversity, but the way that it helps you to engage with your fellow human beings, I think to me is as important, if not even more important. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I think one part coming up for me is this idea of like, community at work as well and I think the future of work I think a lot of it is like building a safe community where everyone feels safe and heard and represented and I just thinking back of some of the things that you know how particularly in this virtual environment how we create a safe space for folks to come together and be vulnerable and open about what's most important to them and we try and create some spaces here in this virtual environment where folks can come together and just share those experiences or share kind of you know, even could be things about favorite recipes or over Thanksgiving as favorite things that really mean a lot for them. And, but that really is people just sharing who they are. And it can be a, a starting point like that. And of course it can go much, much, much bigger and it should, but 
I think, yeah, creating that community where people can come together. Because I think in this virtual environment, it can be really hard sometimes. Like you have these structured meetings where you're thrown into a Zoom meeting and you're thrown into business. And like, sure, we can chat about that, but like you're not learning who people are and what makes them tick and really, really kind of what's most important to them. So I think one thinking for the future of work around this is also just thinking about how can you create those spaces where people come together outside of that work, in quote, kind of space where people can really share who they are, what they're vulnerable about and what's important to them. And I think that's how we can learn as a community and get closer together as well. So, um, yeah, we do something here called the Happy Dot Lounge, which is every other few Thursdays where folks come together and they might sing or they might share recipes or they might share family stories and you know these are just beautiful moments where you can just think much bigger about what work means and for me that's community and that's just people coming together and all all of this I think is just tied into this about how we can really help people be their selves in a self in a safe environment and um, that's just one thing that comes to mind for me about how we create those safe spaces for for groups and people to really share who they are. Um, I think that's that's the future of work is it's more than what we do. It's kind of who we are and what we bring to this place. Well, and our, our final poll came out uh, that was going into 2022. What do you think your employees and us as humans need from organizations and from remote work boundary plan and focus on DEI and B and flexible flexibility and well-being? the out, most resounding yes was for all of the above to be important. And all of these are crucial in well-being as a whole, uh, which is why even us at Living HR created our well-being works platform to help bring well-being to individuals in the workplace and overall. Uh, and I know at Headspace Health, one of the things that that you offer is the meditation for work. And so Tom, I'd love if you could share a little bit more about how do we normalize meditation for work and, and utilizing that as we go into this new year. Yeah, I should be clear that I think meditation and mindfulness are just one part in a much larger toolkit. It's not for everybody. And I, told, I think going back to the earlier point of well-being or benefits, you know, that's a whole kind of spectrum of things. And meditation for some folks can be one part of that toolkit that's helpful. But for me, it goes back to this idea of community and something that we've always try to do at Headspace is create a space where people can come together and sit in meditation of something they want to do. And it's never been forced or anything, but I think internally as a culture, you know, kicking off meetings, maybe with just two minutes of silence. And I think particularly in an environment where folks might be feeling stressed or overwhelmed, a whole kind of myriad of emotions and feelings right now. I think if we can create those spaces where people come together and just stop, pause, check in on your breath, checking in on how you are. Again, I think in this virtual environment, that's increasingly rare. Like we go from Zoom meeting to Zoom meeting, we're clicking join Zoom meeting and like, hang on, haven't had a chance to breathe, let alone eat or like check in on my partner or you know anyone I'm caregiving for. It's like, wow, how does this happen? Like, this is nonstop. And I think that is a really hard thing to kind of, yeah, push back on because that's the system we're in. We need to create those moments for ourselves and others. Meditation can be one way of doing that, I think. And I think we have to think about, okay, well, if it's not one minute of just pausing and checking and thinking, okay, cool, how am I doing? Have I caught my breath? I've been in meetings for the past four hours, which might be kind of the norm for many folks. It's like, well, how do I take this time for myself? And it could be a one minute meditation. It could be a three minute meditation. It could be two deep breaths, if that's for you. Just maybe taking a deep 
breath in through the nose, out through the mouth, and you're like, okay, cool, all right, I've caught my breath. And that is, I think, a small win in this very virtual, fast-paced environment. So it's kind of many moments like that, just checking in to see how you are. But also, I think it's bigger. And one thing I'm a big supporter of is, again, going back to this idea of how the workplace can be a really powerful place for community and people coming together is how can we create these spaces? Maybe it's five minutes, maybe it's 10 minutes where folks can come together and sit in meditation. I think there's something quite powerful about sitting united in silence, just taking that time for your mental health. And it could be at work, it could be outside of work. Totally, you don't have to do this during your nine to five or eight to seven, whatever our crazy hours are these days. You can totally do it whenever you want. And of course, I'm biased, but coming from headspace. But I think those, those moments of community when we can come together and just sit with our mental health, with our minds, because it's something we all have in common is mental health on different parts of the spectrum. Of course, I think if we can create that space for it and talk about it, then that's gonna help, I think, break down some of the barriers that we've been uh, talking about here in terms of kind of flexibility and feeling overwhelmed and stressed. If we can talk about it in a safer place, then I think we have to create the space within our work days for that. So yeah, it could be one deep breath, it could be one minute, it could be five minutes maybe between a meeting or maybe blocking out Thursday mornings, maybe that's a meditation time where folks can come together and do this if that's something they want to try, you know, but I think this has to, well, this and any kind of wellness offering has to start from the top. Leadership have to support it and be open to it and be there. Like They have to show up and to really drive that if it's going to be successful as well. And that goes with anything I think we've spoken about today in terms of creating safety or supporting different benefits. Um, so yeah, they could look like different things, but I mean, just kind of quickly here, we kind of kick off every single day at 10 a.m. with a 10 minute meditation. And if folks want to come together, they can sit and start their day like that. And I think just creating that space for, for mental health, essentially, I think is, um, yeah, one nice way of, of starting that. And I think that's the critical part that it doesn't need to be what everyone uses or practices, but at least creating that space and normalizing so that those who do need or want to try it have that opportunity. And I wanted to bring to light uh, Aiko in the chat said, what shows up for me to look for my next place of work is to be respected and be met where I am, be heard, seen and trusted, given the space to be vulnerable. Thanks, Tom, for putting words to my mouth and giving thanks. So I know we only have a couple minutes left. And so I'd love to close by hearing from each of you with what are you looking for forward to most in 2022, whether it's in your personal or professional, and what is one tip or one resource you want attendees who are watching live with us right now or who are watching the replay to take away with them moving into the new year. So I'd love if we could start. Uh, Katie, if you want to jump in and let us know, what are you looking forward to and what's a tip or resource? Sure. Um, I mean, I, I don't, I, I don't know that there's one thing that I'm looking for forward to in, in 2022. Um, maybe it's, um, you know, Winolo does an all company retreat, um, once a year and we had to cancel in, um, 2021, we were supposed to go to Miami and may in 2022, I'm, I'm hoping that we can have that retreat and get everybody together because I definitely would, you know, love to see everybody um, in person. That might be my one thing that I'm really, really looking forward to. Um, I think, you know, one takeaway uh, that I would say to everybody is, you know, be kind to yourself. 
um, as people leaders, like we're not going to get everything right. And it's okay. Like we're doing our best. Um, this is, you know, unprecedented, crazy, uh, once in a career thing that happened and we're all muddling through. And I don't think anybody has the exact right answer, but as long as you approach it, uh, with love and compassion and listening and empathy and, and you're trying, you're doing a great job. So just be kind to yourself. Be kind to yourself. Plus one on that one. Amelia, what about for you? Plus two. Um, I would say I'm, you know, I said earlier, like, I'm really looking forward to using my passport again. I do keep it right next to me on my desk because I miss it so much. And I talk to it sometimes. Um, so I'm, I'm personally looking forward to that. I, I love to travel. Um, the one thing I would say as people leaders that we can continue to do in 2022 is always ask a few questions before embarking on the work. Who benefits? Who benefits from this piece of work? Is that in line with who we say we are? Every day, I feel like our job is to close the distance between who we say we are organizationally and who we actually show up as. There's always distance there. We're always aspirational in what we say, but we have to be the, I feel like my role is to be the arbiter of bringing the daylight to a minimum between those two things. So my first question is who benefits? And my second question is, so that what? Why? We do this so that what? And so I think if we can always ground ourselves in the why of the work and push ourselves and push our organizations and ourselves to be honest about that, to give, to give truth to that, I think it is a powerful thing. And then my final thing is to remember that culture should lead policy, not policy lead culture. Culture is more important than policy. We try to hide sometimes behind policy, but that doesn't always give us the culture that we would like to have. Culture over po policy. And Tom, go ahead and round us out. I love that, yeah. Um, I think what I'm looking forward to, hoping for at least is a bit more stability, I think in terms of things like travel and health and folks getting together if they want to do that. So we'll see what happens there. Still lots of unknowns, right? But I think a bit more stability would be nice for next year, please, if someone's listening. I think kind of one tip is, no, not a tip, but I think one thing that compassion was mentioned. I think self-compassion is really important as a foundation, you know, going back to the idea of it's been a while since I've flown two years, but like when you fly, you put your oxygen mask on first in an emergency, right before we can support other people. And I know it's cliched, but I think it's now like increasingly important to try and remember that as much as possible and have that intention to self-compassion for yourself, be kind, definitely, as, as Katie was saying, but then how we foster that culture of compassion to other people. And I think the pandemic, again, has been a big part of this. It starts that conversation of like how you are really, you can see life going on in the background um, around you. And I think we need to continue that conversation of what compassion looks like. And there's actually a really good article I came across quite recently. It's on Harvard Business Review by an author called Amy Gallo. And uh, she writes about how compassion and accountability are mutually exclusive. And I think this word compassion, sometimes people might think, oh, I've got to be soft or just really kind. But accountability is a really important part of that. I think as we think about what compassion can look like in the future, accountability for ourselves and our teams needs to be that balance. And I think 
more to compassion, yes, in terms of how we support other people, but doing it in the right way that's supportive, but also holds folks accountable. So that's just one uh, article I wanted to, to, to mention there, which I think is really, really helpful and interesting when it comes to how we think about this as leaders. Um, but yeah, huge plus, plus one, plus three, sorry, to self-compassion and then yeah, support to our teams. And this can be simple, like before jumping into the agenda of a meeting, spending three minutes to ask, how are you? Like, what's going on for you right now? Like, you know, just kind of having that moment to just check in. It can be so easy to jump in and just get pulled away with an agenda meeting before we know it, time's gone. But spending three moments for that human approach, either in one-on-ones or outside of that time in other ways or virtual ways that we can come together and just share who we really are. I think that is really essential. Uh, and for me, that's the future of work is just more around community and understanding who we are as humans, not just workers. Um, so yeah, that's one thought I had. Well, thank you, Tom, and thank you to all of our panelists and those of you who have stayed. I know we went a couple of minutes over, but thank you so much for the gift of your time and the gift of all of our panelists' time. It was so wonderful to have you today in our year-end review. And again, thank you to Feeding Tampa Bay. If you feel compelled, donate with the link that was dropped in the chat. And with that, we end today, and we hope to see you again next year. And a happy new year to all of you. Thank you, everyone.